Hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of Once Upon a Crime. We've just got all kinds of extra goodies for you this month. I'm really excited to bring you this special episode in partnership with CrimeCon UK. CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is coming to London on September 25th and 26th. The weekend will be filled with true crime presentations and experiences from leading criminologists, families and survivors, forensic experts, journalists, celebrities from the true crime world, and more. You'll also have the chance to meet all your favorite true crime podcasters on CrimeCon's podcast row. And I'll be there to hang out, answer questions, and talk true crime with you. CrimeCon is the ultimate true crime weekend partnered by Crime and Investigation. You won't want to miss it, so hit up your true crime friends and plan for a great weekend of true crime on September 25th and 26th in London. More information and how to register will be included at the end of this episode. But now on to the main event. CrimeCon UK has put together a special treat for all of you loyal true crime podcast listeners, and I was given the honor of taking part in bringing it to you. Crime Conversations is a brand new true crime podcast brought to you by CrimeCon UK. Over the next eight weeks, the podcast will bring 16 different true crime podcasters together in conversation. And I'm pleased to announce that Once Upon a Crime will kick off the very first of these episodes today. In this episode, I get to talk with one of my favorite podcasters, Sinead from Men's Rea Podcast. I had such a good time talking true crime and podcasting with her, and I think you'll enjoy the conversation. If you haven't yet had a chance to listen to Men's Rea, I've included a link to Sinead's podcast in the show notes as well. I know you'll be a fan, too. To find out what other podcasts will be teaming up for Crime Conversations and to listen to all the episodes as they're released, go to crimecon.co.uk. But now let's listen to my crime conversation with Sinead from Mens Rea. Welcome to Crime Conversations, the true crime podcast brought to you by CrimeCon UK, the ultimate true crime weekend. In the lead up to CrimeCon in London on September 25th and 26th, each week we're bringing two of our favourite podcasts together to find out more about their fascination with true crime. Each conversation will explore subjects including how they got involved in true crime, the cases that have stuck in their mind, the process behind their podcast, and what they think makes a great true crime show. We'd also like to say a big thank you to all those true crime fans who sent questions to ask our guests. To find out who we'll be featuring on the podcast across the season and for more information on our London event, check crimecon.co.uk or visit our Instagram page at crimecon underscore UK. Hi, I'm Sinead, host of the Mens Rea podcast. It's an Irish true crime podcast set in the courtroom. Hi, I'm Esther, host of Once Upon a Crime. I like to say that Once Upon a Crime tells the story behind the story of real-life crime. While researching each case, I work to uncover details to tell a compelling story and also to provide context to understand why these crimes happened. So, Sinead, I was really interested um, when I found out about your podcast because I think we have some similarities as far as the kinds of podcasts that we host, which are basically telling a story from beginning to end 
and it's a narrated one host podcast. So my question to you was, when did you first realize you had an interest in true crime? And then what what triggered you to start a podcast about it? I think the interest has always been there. I think I get it from my mom, like a lot of people do. I think there's uh, a, a lot of women who are into true crime, and it's because their mothers were into true crime. I grew up in the US, so I remember like 60 Minutes and 2020 being on. And then when we got older, we'd sit and watch like all of the um, true crime shows like not just the forensic files, but all of like the CSI and the law and order and and all of that stuff. And the first time I ever listened to a podcast was Serial back in 2014, I think it was, that I listened to it. And I was instantly hooked. There was kind of a story that I wanted to get to the end of and, and figure out. And there's really no ends to that story. So I ended up listening to more and more podcasts, trying to figure out the answer to the questions that that, that show had raised. And then I discovered that there was this whole other world of indie shows about true crime had just kind of kicked off. So I remember stumbling across Generation Y and thinking sideways and already gone and your show, uh, Lainey from True Crime Fan Club, and all of these other shows. And I had this moment where I was listening to Nina from Already Gone, where one of her dogs shakes in the background. It was a really early episode, but you could hear her dog like shaking or scratching. I'm like, she's in her house. She does this from her house. She doesn't have a studio. You know, she's just a woman out there doing this. Two things kind of struck me at the same time. One that I wanted to hear stories that were closer to to my home and to that you could do this anywhere. So I kind of sat with that for a bit until, you know, if not you, then who moment hit. And I decided that I was going to make an, an Irish true crime podcast. And when I started, I didn't know if there was going to be enough Irish crime. So that's why I cover the UK as well. But as it turns out, <laughs> there's plenty of Irish crime to cover. Um, and I just, I remember, um, you know, reaching out to, to you at the beginning and podcasters are just such friendly people. So it was, uh, with all that support there, it was a good decision to make. I'm so glad that I made that decision, but it was definitely like listening to the likes of you and, and Nina and Lainey and, and all of the other women in true crime that made me feel confident enough to do it. How did you end up with your show? You know, it's funny because your um, your story, what you you know, your your origin story, as we call it, uh, is kind of a piggybacks onto mine because I've also always been interested in true crime. Um, I picked up my first true crime book when I was in high school, and that was Anne Rule's "The The Stranger Beside Me" about Ted Bundy, and I was just fascinated with basically the psychological profile of a serial killer. And I got really interested in that and even to the point where I ended up going to get a degree in correctional psychology, which was basically counseling people who were, had been incarcerated, committed crimes, had been, you know, on troubled people. But it's always been about picking the, the mind of, of somebody who we would call 
you know, a criminal or a perpetrator and finding out what makes it tick. So I really thought about doing a a true crime podcast for years. Um, I actually started podcasting back in 2012 and there wasn't really much out there. I was listening to like news podcasts and, you know, that kind of thing. Didn't even know about true crime podcasts, which there were only a couple, I think at the time. So I knew that when I was podcasting, it was just it was just to learn how to do it because I liked podcasts and I thought, I wish I could, you know, do this. It seems like a lot of fun. So I just kind of started a little hobby podcast and that folded after about a dozen episodes or something. And then I thought, you know, I really like podcasting. If I was really going to do it for the long term, the only thing I can see myself really being interested in is true crime cases. But I thought, who wants to listen to that? You know, that's, <laughs> I didn't know anybody at the time. It's funny when you're like a person who follows true crime, it's like, you don't go around saying, hey, I love true crime. You know, you, at least you you didn't then. Now it's like, okay. But then it was like, you were just hiding in the closet with your little true crime books, right? So um, now there's clothing lines dedicated to <laughs> everything. There's everything. It's, it's too much. But then it was like, okay, well, who's going to want us in this? And like, I went ahead and started planning it because I figured if I'm going to do this, I want to do it right, whatever that means, because there was nobody teaching it. There was nobody that I could reach out to to say, hey, how do you do a true crime podcast or how do you do a podcast even? So I really had to figure it out piecemeal. And so that took me some time. And then I started thinking about, you know, what would I want the show to sound like and what kind of cases would I cover and how would I cover them and all of those things, the format. And As I was getting ready, I was actually starting to write the first episodes, Serial came out. Then I realized, just like you said, these people, millions of people were listening to this podcast. They were so, you know, into it. I thought, oh my gosh, there are people that want to hear, you know, this kind of, you know, this kind of content. And the second thing that I realized is Serial ended after like 10 episodes, so I thought all those people are going to be looking for more true crime content. Yes, so we I were. better get this thing done. <laughs> I better get it out, you know. So that's when I really started working in earnest to get, you know, get it going. And I launched in June of 2016. It was a few months later than I thought. I think it was just the, um, it was just kind of like the factor of like, can I really do this? You know, it was just that self, self-confidence self factor that I was lacking at first. But I put out my first three episodes um, in June of 2016, and it took off like from week one, which I really didn't know because, of course, I didn't really know what downloads were. I'd be happy to get a couple hundred people listen, you know, that kind of thing. But I thought that's going to take a while. People got to, you know, I don't even know how they're going to find it. But people were looking for that um, content. And uh, I was, you know, for the first time in my life in the right place at the right time. So <laughs> so that was a big motivator to keep going. And b- before that, the first true crime podcast that I found that I fell in love with because it was one of the only ones out there, like you said, was Generation Y. That was yeah. that still is like my number one. Yeah. they And they're, you know, and what's so delightful about Gen Y is that they're also so incredibly nice. Literally couldn't be better people to be at the very beginning of the true crime phenomenon because they're so approachable and so lovely. Yeah, Um, Yeah, they're the best. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that helped launch my podcast. Um, I just happened to meet Justin. He came here to uh, my hometown where I'm at in San Jose, California, because he asked his uh, wife has a brother who lives here. And he had put a thing out, hey, I'm going to be in San Jose. Anybody want to do a meetup? I'm like, yes. Oh, my God. You know, (laughs) but so I went, I didn't even 
tell him that I was going to create a a true crime podcast, but somebody else ended up telling him. And when it launched, and and it was, it was really interesting, like you were saying about being women podcasters, because a lot of us launched right around the same time, women podcasts, which, so we cut, we, you're right. We did form this little community. So what Justin did is that he gave a shout out on Generation Y to women true crime podcasters. And he mentioned my show and he mentioned, um, I think, Nina's show and a couple of others. So that really put us on the map because, of course, they have, you know, a huge audience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're, they're Aaron and Justin, they're just, they're amazing guys. It's so funny that, you know, you're talking about like when you first started your podcast, because um, when we decided to have this conversation, the first thing that popped into my head was when I started podcasting, you were one of the first people that I reached out to. And you were very helpful and kind of basically said, you know, well, I have done this before, which really solidified for me that I just had to do it. You know, that I, I wasn't going to be an audio expert on day one. You went about it in such an organized way, whereas mine was very kind of if I don't do this now, then I'm not going to do it. And it doesn't need, let's not think too much about it. Um, But um, so it's just interesting that, you know, for fairly similar shows to have like two very different approaches into how they they came to being. That said, I'm not an organized person. and, And I do tend to just do things without thinking. Um, which gets me into trouble sometimes, but also sometimes ends up uh, with a podcast that I'm quite proud of. You, like me, decided the way that you were going to format your podcast was to research an episode, write out completely, or you do bullet points, but then narrate the whole story um, in just your voice. So not with like guests and not with like uh, a co-host or anything like that. And what I found is that's pretty rare. There's not a lot. It's like us and there's, you know, um, of course, like Christy from um, Canadian True Crime. And there's a couple that you mentioned and and Charlie from Crime Lines. But a lot of, especially the newer, um, you know, I would say newer, like in the last, because there has been an explosion (laughs) of them in the last year or so, of course, you know, with people being locked in, say, hey, I'll make a podcast. It is that type. It's it's the chattier kind of discussion format. So why did you decide to go this way? And what is your process for creating an episode? The show is the way it is, kind of because of necessity. I'm a bit of a control freak. And I knew that if I asked a friend to help out, I love all my friends. If you're listening, I love you to bits. But I knew that there would come a time where someone was unavailable or something happened and, you know, very understandable things. But I knew that one day it would get put off and then it might never come back again. And I didn't want that to happen. And I also, you know, it's a huge commitment. I didn't really want to ask any of my friends, listen, do you want to you know, host a, a true crime podcast with me. I didn't, I didn't know there were secret true crime fanatics in my friend circle that I wasn't aware of. So it ended up just being me. I love researching. So I was happy to do that. And with that in mind, the show kind of takes a certain form because it kind of um, forms itself around your personality. Like there were a few things that, that I tried at the very beginning that just didn't work. Um, like funny quips, 
it's very difficult to be funny in a room on your own. Um, <laughs> that was that was never going to happen. And then because of the way crime actually works in Ireland, it can be quite difficult to research. So one of the like the big differences between the Irish legal system and um the legal system in both the UK and in the US, and of course that varies from state to state over there, is what information you have access to. So in Ireland, you can't put in a freedom of information request for a trial transcript. That's not open to the public. You can't get cold case files. The police aren't going to talk to you. Lawyers aren't going to talk to you. The people involved in, in the crimes aren't going to talk to you. So kind of by necessity, it's a fairly, once you rule out that co-host, it's a fairly solitary thing. So my weeks are quite solitary. And I think actually it suits me. But like I, I sit at my computer and I pull up old newspaper articles and I could have 200 newspaper articles to read through. And I pick up every single one and I look at it and I figure out what's the actual information in that. And and that goes into like a research packet. And then I make that into a narrative script and read it out as best as I can. There's a lot of things that I'm sure other people could do better, but I'm the one doing this. So, um, you know, I, I mispronounce and I, I, I get things wrong and, and all that stuff. But, you know, most of what I do is the research. And then I spend maybe two days recording and then editing. I do all my editing myself as well, which was at the beginning, audio editing. I hated yeah. it so oh, much. Gosh. It takes so long when you're it's first doing so it. It's so long. <laughs> um, like it still takes me forever. Um, this weekend I was finishing up an episode and the the script itself ended up being 17 pages long, not including the, the sources. So I think I had four pages worth of, of sources for it. So I ended up with a two hour raw audio file. And I, generally, if it makes it into the script, I don't I don't cut things. So I just have to go through and make sure that you you can't hear cats scratching at the door. There isn't long pauses. There's no flubs. It takes me like 10 hours to do it. It takes oh, me wow. forever. But the only upside is that I, I like to do some, I like to like watch a movie or something while I'm doing it. That probably mm -hmm. makes it longer, but it's a more enjoyable, <laughs> more enjoyable experience. <laughs> Listening to your own voice, man, it's not, it's not the best. Yeah. Um, you get used to it, I think. But yeah, at first it's really like, ugh, it's yeah. just like it's such a chore. And it, you're right. The audio editing, one of the things um, people used to ask me, like, how long does it take to audio edit? I said, Think about, and it sounds like, you know, it depends on the person. But for me, when I got really fast at it, it was like for one hour of recording, it would take me three times as long for every hour of recording. So yeah, or four. So maybe it'd be four, four or five hours to audio edit it. And I have found some shortcuts. So I'll talk to you about that off <laughs> script. We'll that, might, that may help. Because, yeah. Because believe You're like, me, that, that is too long, girl. It's torturous. <laughs> torturous to me. Yeah. And I do remember the first, you know, the first few episodes were just, oh gosh, it felt like I was sitting here for, you know, days just editing. And it's so funny. I look back at my first episodes, which I just recently did because I just hit episode 200. And so I look back at episodes one, two, and three, and I swear, I thought those were like so long and so detailed and it took me so long to do. And I look back and they're like 20 minutes. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> oh, I no. thought they were like three hours long. <laughs> so yeah, it's so funny because yeah, after a while you kind of get in a rhythm, I think. And and then you kind of know what you want to say when you, when you do, like you said, do the research. But you once you, you do the research and you kind of get a knack for 
what parts of this do I really need to include to tell the story? I think like a reader. So because I've been a big reader all my life. So I think about it like if I was to be, you know, reading a book, what would the opening pages be? Like what would get me like to really continue turning the pages in that book? And that's why in my episodes, there's like these little short musical breaks, because to me, that's like the end of a chapter, you know, like, okay, that finished. And now I'm going to go tell this part of it, or maybe we won't move forward in time. Or maybe I start with talking about the trial or something like that. But that really helps me to kind of keep it in my brain. So I know what I want the story to look like and what I want it to ultimately sound like. Um, And then just finding your sound, that's the other part, because of course, this isn't on paper. This is audio. So that's the next question I wanted to ask you. As far as now becoming a podcaster and it's all audio, how has that been for you? Is that, was that, did it feel real natural? Like, okay, I'm just talking to people or how did you maybe find a groove or did that start from, from the beginning where you felt like, no, this is how I sound and this is how it is. Oh, I wish it started from the beginning. Like the first 12 episodes of my show had this like really like awesome alt rock theme. <laughs> and <laughs> I like that. I know I like, cause I was like, well, I'm going to put myself into this mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, I want this to really represent like what I'm like. And then I realized that I'm only a little bit like that. That might be what I I want people to see, but that's not actually all of me. And at the end of the day, these aren't my stories. These are other people's stories. So it's not actually about me. It's about the tone that I want to set for those stories. And listening back to those those first episodes and looking through the scripts, they're very personal tragedies for people. They're somber. Um, Most of the story takes place in the courtroom. It's quite stripped back. I don't give any opinions really of, of what's happening. And, you know, I realized that it needed to sound like that too. So there's no dramatic music at all. There's no music throughout my show unless there's a, a, a bumper for an ad break, which will which will tell you that it's coming up rather than going straight from a police investigation into, into an ad. But um, yeah, I, I realized that, you know, the tone of the show was stripped, like the bones of that stripped back show were already there. And I was kind of trying to make it be something that it wasn't. So once I kind of got over this notion of what I had intended to do and let it just be what I had made it, then it all started to work a lot better. Because as I said, I didn't start out organized. You know, I, I didn't start out with a plan or notion really of what I wanted it to do or be. Yeah, I let go of that bit of tr- of trying to want to push my own personality and stamp on it. I think there is still a bit of me there. Like I, I do have a vaguely legal background. That's why we talk a lot about various laws and and legislation and a bit of constitutional law or European law in in the episodes, not a whole bunch because it's still a narrative and I don't want to bore people. But, um, you know, there's still touches on that. But um, yeah, it kind of became what it needed to become. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of it. Yeah, that's kind of the process is you, you start to find your voice and feel 
like you get a groove, I think, and you start to feel more comfortable with it. And that is usually when you're really being true to, you know, just how you are and bringing yourself to the podcast as a real person. But it's funny because it was kind of the, the flip for me. When I started, I thought, oh, I'm just going to do bullet points and then I'll just talk. And I'm like, no, because, well, you know, the audio editing takes forever because there's lots of pauses and ums and ahs and, you know, all of that stuff. So... I figured, no, I have to write it out, which is so funny because when I was in college, I thought, oh, I'm so glad when I finished college, I'll never have to write another paper. Now I write oh a paper my God. every single week <laughs> for the podcast. Preaching to the choir. It is so fun. Like, because I always liked that bit of college, like writing papers and things. But, you know, it is exhausting when you have like the the equivalent of like here, your final year paper. Yeah. <laughs> like I wrote my thesis in college was shorter than like this week's episode. <laughs> and it took me three months to write. <laughs> yeah, you, get, you get really fast at it, you know, because so you, you know, like what you want to say. So when I, that was one of the things. So when I started, I wanted to be very professional and, you know, just stick to the script and, you know, all of that stuff. And I did that for a long time, but I, it was, it was harder to record because I think, like you said, I was trying to be, you know, put myself across as this thing, you know, and then later on. So what happened was I have naturally kind of a sarcastic um, kind of personality. (laughs) So of course I didn't bring that in. I wasn't making jokes or any of that kind of stuff, but there were some uh, cases that I covered where you get to a point and it's just such a ridiculous detail that I, I couldn't stop myself. Like, I'd be like, oh my God, are you serious? Like it would be things like, in a ridiculous defense that the perpetrator had, you know, said uh, why this happened or, or or an excuse or oh, why it couldn't have been him or and it's like, please, it's so obvious it was you, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so I would kind of do a little just a short like, excuse me or whatever. <laughs> I couldn't even help it. And people really said, oh, my gosh, I love that because, you know, before we got none of your personality and now we kind of see it a little bit and it makes us because I think the audience does want to know you a little bit, you know, just and they might get that just from the way that you speak or. And so I've kind of realized that what I needed to do was tell these stories in a way that still was respectful of, because like you said, it is, you know, something tragic, but also that brings the, um, the listener in so they can feel kind of like how you're kind of grasping it. And so when I started doing that, it really felt more like me. It seems like we kind of came to the same conclusion, but in a different way. Yeah. Like, you know, it is funny when you, you come across those those like WTF moments in crimes. There's one I will never forget um, in the the Scissor Sisters case here, which was two sisters and a mother who brutally murdered a man in a tiny flat in Dublin city centre. Then they chopped up his body and um, dumped him in the canal. But before they did that, they it's, it's such a kind of typically Irish moment that I had to include it. They they stopped and they went and bought like bleach and, and you know, black plastic bags and things. But they also bought something called a chicken fillet roll. Like they went to the shop and bought like a, 
like a breakfast roll with sausages and chicken and sauce and stuff. Like it just, you know, one of those moments where, you know, it's not super relevant to the story, but, <laughs> yeah. it, but it also kind of has, though, like, yeah. like, it really? has <laughs> to go in there. Like, I'm sorry you did what? Like, <laughs> let's get some, some duct tape and some black bags. Oh, and yes, I desperately need to get some something from the deli counter. You know, like, oh. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and that's that's the thing that's so interesting because you're 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 kind of showing like a little bit of the thought process of perpetrators that we, if we think about, we can't relate to them at all. No, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But in things like that, we're like that is almost like a normal thing like a normal person would do. But this is a very abnormal situation, and you know, pretty gruesome. So what were they thinking? So that's the part that really. For me, that I would definitely pull that into the story because it it really makes the story interesting. Just it's just these little portions of just you know human psychology or human personality that yeah. that we say, oh my like, gosh, this is crazy. Just <laughs> continuing to live your life while you're in the middle of disposing a body. Why do you think people have such a, a fascination with true crime? There's different reasons why people really get involved. Like I know there's this one subset of true crime followers that really like to get into research and thinking about solving a crime. Or, I mean, there's a big portion of people that love that kind of stuff, right? There's why there's so many unsolved crimes or maybe a person was wrongfully convicted and what really happened. So though that's one one type. And I don't like you, I don't do unsolved crimes for the most part because I want, like I said, want to tell a story from beginning to end. And so, and I also do the way I do the research, all of the crimes that I do are mostly from the past. I don't have anything super recent because it really has to have been resolved already. So that, you know, kind of um informs like what I choose. But I also think that people, that's one subsection, but I think there's other people that just are so fascinated, like, how does this happen? You know, because we live our normal lives as just humdrum, you know, go to work, make dinner, pay your bills, you know, take care of your kids, whatever. And how does something as out of the ordinary as, you know, murder or serial murder or kidnapping or of of these types of crimes that are not not ordinary, you know, not that anyone could say is completely ordinary, but you know what I mean? Like something that we say, oh, that happens all the time, like a robbery or um, somebody breaks into a house or whatever. But we're talking about some of the worst of the worst, right? And that I think people just kind of want to look at it and say, what could cause that to happen? You know, and could that be something that would could happen to me? That is a definite reason I think there's so many women, uh, the biggest population of of true crime podcast listeners are females by a long shot. Most of the stories we tell, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about, usually it's not maybe stranger danger. Uh, Most of the crimes that we come across, I think somebody, you know, you know, it's like somebody in your family or um, somebody in your community or something like that. And it's, they want to know, like, could this happen to me? Or I think that's always in the back of our minds, especially as women. Like, how do I keep myself safe? How do I keep my my daughters, uh, my granddaughters safe? You know, I need to be aware of this, which I think is a good thing because when you think of violent crime, we like to keep our head in the sand and think, well, that could never happen here. But I think we know that it can, but we just don't want to see it. So we don't prepare ourselves for anything um, that could happen. And, and it's really, really important for everybody and especially women to always be aware, aware of your circumstances, aware of 
maybe red flags in a relationship or something like that and, you know, keep yourself safe. So I think that's another part of it. At least that's a lot I hear from listeners. Yeah, I think, the, you know, the 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 women in true crime idea is just, it's really fascinating because I think for one, as women, we've been kind of socialized to be aware of our circumstances, what we're doing, be aware that, you know, something bad could happen to you. Like, you know, going out for a night out, you know, having a couple of drinks, don't leave your glass unattended, don't meet strangers in in public places, always stay with a friend, never leave your friend behind, you know, all all of these things. They're very much kind of baked into being a young woman or a woman in society, the dark street, crossing the road, listening for footsteps behind you, having keys in your hand when you're walking home, locking your car immediately upon getting into it. All of these things, you know, they're very much present. And I think one of like the big changes that I've seen kind of since true crime podcasts came along is how victim focused true crime is becoming. Like it used to be, you know, 20 years ago, you'd get those like really weird reconstructions and like blood and gore and violence and all that dramatic music leading up to the, you know, the murder of the pretty girl in college, you know, and there's less of that. Not that it's completely gone, but the the focus is on those everyday relationships that you have that go wrong. And in a way, it's it's kind of scarier than the whole stranger danger thing. As you said, we don't acknowledge it, but you know, you're you're more at risk in in your home generally than you are just walking out on the street. And it is good to be aware of that. It's also good to, you know, let people who who may be in situations like that or situations that are developing into something like that that they're not the only people who are in that boat. They're not alone and that there are resources, not plenty of resources, but there are resources out there to get help as well, which I think is a really important development in kind of the true crime genre rather than just the focus on, you know, those personalities of the serial killer who are still yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'm not not to diss <laughs> a good serial killer podcast. They're still fascinating, but, yeah. you know, you're way less likely to find yourself up against one of those than you are that nice man who is the pillar of the community, you know. Yeah. You know, and over, over time, what I've noticed is there has been true crime cases that have come up that have actually created so much more awareness of things like what you were just talking about. Back in the, maybe the mid 80s, there was a TV movie called The Burning Bed. And it actually starred Farrah Fawcett as the uh, a woman who was suffering horrific domestic violence and had been since, you know, she was very young and how she, you know, finally snapped and ended up setting the house on fire and and killing her abuser. But that story from beginning, and when that came out, I remember watching it. I was very young and I remember watching it and it really stuck with me. But I also remember that it became a big deal at that time when people really started talking about, you know, domestic violence and, um, you know, battered wives syndrome, battered wives syndrome and all of these things that came. So it was, it was important to, to make it aware. And like you said, people who were going through the same situation, didn't, you know, really relate to anybody else because they thought they kept a secret, of course, most mm-hmm. of the time, you know, they didn't tell anybody they kept it a secret. It was like it was shameful or something. And 
when that came out, it became talked about and people started to realize, you know, no, this isn't my fault. This is something that I need to get help for. This is something, you know, that I can, I can get out of, but it's still, it's all, all of those things. So, so sometimes people say, oh, you know, true crime just is entertainment. Well, yeah, there's, there's a portion of it that is definitely that, um, because people like Unsolved Mysteries has been around forever. Why? Because people mm-hmm. are very entertained by that, you know, but there's also this educational portion. Um, I try to put that in my episodes, but without being like a teacher, you know what yeah. I mean? Like um, <laughs> I, I want the story to kind of do the work itself. Sometimes I'll do a commentary at the end because I do, um, you know, have a background in, in this, you know, psychology. So sometimes I want to talk about what I think uh, the motivation was or, you know, how this, all these things came to collide into this situation or whatever. But those are the things I think that people really look for when they're listening to these cases is, you know, they want to know the story, but they want, they don't necessarily want you to be flipping about it or just, oh, it's just, it's just entertainment, you know, whatever. Um, I think it's important to tell people's story, like you said, or, you know, at the beginning of this is, is be respectful of that story. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's definitely an entertainment aspect. Like nobody's going to sit down and devote an hour of their time listening to something that they're not interested in or or entertained by. And I think sometimes people think entertainment is a bad word, like that it immediately kind of gives this connotation that it's, you know, flippant, that it's not an important thing, but you can be entertained by things that are that are factual and that are informative. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why the show that I do has such a focus on the law, because most people in Ireland will never be in a courtroom. They don't know what happens there. They don't know who the people are. Just by virtue of the way the system is set up, there's no like cameras in a courtroom here. There's no reporting from the courthouse. You'll get little snippets in a newspaper, but it's not often that the those snippets get put together into, into a narrative context. And some of those cases really touch on important societal developments and developments that lead to changes in society and in the law, like um, the, you know, intimate partner violence. Like it was just last year that Ireland passed a law about coercive control in the home, which is uh, related to kind of domestic abuse and, and intimate partner violence. So, you know, it's a, it's a good way to tell people who don't have that experience, you know, who have maybe never come across those situations a little bit more about those things, but in an interesting and compelling way and a way that they can relate to, because, mm-hmm. you know, these people could be the people down the road, you know, or their friend from school or, or any of those things. So, yeah, yeah I do think it's important. I was once asked at a, at a conference, you know, do you not feel bad that you're, you're making entertainment out of, you know, someone's story? And it's like, well, you know, yeah, I do struggle with that occasionally. Who am I to, to tell these stories? But, you know, I do think that they, they need to be told. They are really tragic moments in people's lives, but we're all human at the end of the day. There's nothing to say that one of us won't experience something like this and to know, you know, that you're not alone in that. And, and you know, and one of the things too, that I wanted to say, you know, listening to, to your podcast is that you do one of the things that I do is to try to get the story right, you know, is to really dig for those details to get the story right. Because one of the things that I do hear from people who are family members of victims or victims themselves 
is that their story, when it came out, when what happened to them came out, that there was so much misinformation about it and it made it even worse for them because it's like they didn't even get the name right. You know, they they said that that was her boyfriend. That wasn't her boyfriend, you know, or that kind of thing. And it really, I have gotten, you know, some messages. I And it's always like when I see a message, it's like, oh, you did a story about my uncle, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, no, you know, <laughs> that moment of absolute yeah. fear, total terror. <laughs> yeah. And I've I've gotten nothing but wonderful. Thank you. And so grateful that you told the story right. And somebody even said, you know, we're going on the 20th anniversary of this crime that happened. And it was like some big news program was doing a story on it. And they said, I, I'm going to connect them with you because you got the story right. Mm. I'm like, wow, that's, and they're talking to me, these are journalists and stuff, you know, but so I thought that was really interesting. And the funny thing is about that message that I got was that was from the uh, family member of the perpetrator, not the victim. Mm. And, she, and I was like, what, she's like, oh, you know, my so-and-so in my family was the guy that was now in prison. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, and, <laughs> and she said, how did you know those things? Because you really told, you really told a well-rounded story where you can see how he got, you know, hooked into this, um, this crime. And, you know, he really wasn't a bad guy, but he did a really bad thing and he is where he's supposed to be. And I just want to say that you told the story, right? So I'm like, wow, that's, that was yeah. amazing. So, you know, we try to do that. And I know that you do too, because it's, it is important, like you said, to not just tell the story for entertainment, but tell it correctly, because mm -hmm. that I think does, that does respect everybody involved, the victims mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, even the investigators and all this, because you're telling their story, as best as you can and as, as, you know, correctly as you can. So one of the things I wanted to, just before we kind of are starting to wrap up here, I think, but I wanted to ask you, you've researched a lot of cases so far. Is there one case that you are, it's kind of like you really are interested and you want to cover or you're looking into or one that's coming up that you're really kind of interested to present to on your podcast? There is one case that I have been putting off and off and off because I want to do it so much, but I want to do it well. It's the case of um, Malcolm MacArthur, who um, he murdered two people back in the 1980s in Ireland, one lady in Dublin and then a man down in the country. And he was he was one of the longest serving prisoners in the country for a while, but he, he is out now. Um, he's must be well into his 70s, possibly early 80s. But his case is so interesting because he brought down the government of the time. He was arrested in the attorney general's home here. So the, the chief legal advisor to the government, he was in his house when he was arrested. And I'm desperate to cover the case, but I'm worried. I'm worried that when I go and look for information that it might not be there because there wasn't a full court hearing. So, and even that's interesting. Apparently, MacArthur and his legal team had prepared a statement about what had, had occurred over the weekend and the judge in the case refused to let it be read. So even that in and, in and of itself is like really interesting and kind of tantalizing and a little bit mysterious. And I really want to cover it, but I just, I, I keep putting it off because I'm, I'm scared that when I go to find the information, it won't be there. <laughs> and there's nowhere to look like bar, you know, appealing to government to release their files on it, which they're not going to do. So, 
I don't think our prime minister is going to listen to a, a little podcaster sitting in her, her spare room <laughs> trying to do her research. <laughs> yeah, you can only you can only dream, right? Yeah, exactly. What about uh, what about you? I know you do kind of themes and series rather than kind of yes. standalone. Right. So yeah, every month I take a different topic and kind of create a, a title for it. Like I said, I think like a reader um, and then find cases that fit into that theme. There is one that actually is coming up finally. Um, it's one that I've had on my list for a long time. So earlier on, I don't know if it was my first season, I think it might've been my first season. I did a, a series called Artful Crimes, which had to do. So sometimes I can bring in some of my other kind of interests into the podcast just because it's fun for me. And I love art um, and art history. So I did one on things that were around art or artists. So like I did the Van Gogh case, did he really kill himself? There's a, a really a strong case for it was a homicide. So I, I did that one um, as part of that. So those kind of things kind of tie them together. So I'm doing Artful Crimes Volume 2. It will be coming up in a, in a couple months. And I'm doing a case that has to do with the architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Now, a lot of people don't know that the setting of one of his homes that was one of you know, his beautiful uh, arts and craft style homes that he built into you know, the side of this beautiful um, landscape was the site of a horrific massacre that I didn't know about until I read this detailed biography I can't remember, maybe 20 years ago. And it stayed with me because that scene was just so crazy. And I thought, and I don't think anybody, so every time I ask somebody like, did you know that such and such, you know, and they're like, what? <laughs> what? Did that happen? So only people that are really into, I guess, like Frank Lloyd Wright or would maybe know that, but, you know, most people know who he is, especially here in America. I mean, he's a very you know, well-known architect and he's got a lot of very famous, you know, houses that he built around the country here. But yeah, that story has, like I said, stayed with me. And when that happens, I know I have to cover it. So I am um, already so fascinated. <laughs> fascinated. So, yeah. I'm going to have to stop myself from Googling now so that I can listen to the episode when it comes out. But that you, is yeah, you fascinating. Would be, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna be, it's mind-blowing when you do Google. Like, you're like, what? The, no, no way. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's one of those ones that just stays with you. It's like the John Bonet thing. I think it stays with people for some reason. That's just one of those ones that stay with you. And yeah. uh, people have such an endless fascination with it. So I find these little ones that are kind of not as well known. And I, I try to make people as, you know, as fascinated and maybe talk about those as well. So, yeah. Thanks for listening to this special episode. I'll be at CrimeCon in London on September 25th and 26th, and I can't wait to see you there. Tickets are on sale now. Go to crimecon.co.uk and use the ticket code onceupon 21 to get 10% off your registration. See you in London. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. 
I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.